0: Welcome to Faith in Capital, a show where persons and communities of Christian faith are invited to engage the system of capitalism theologically and ethically, or you might say, from a faith perspective. I'm your host, Chase Tibbs. Hey, it is a Faith in Capital Easter episode. Um, That's kind of fun. I really enjoyed doing this series, y'all. Uh, I hope y'all have uh, enjoyed it as well. I know personally I've just find, found it meaningful to reflect on these days. And, and uh, of course, I mean, these aren't, these aren't the only ways to think about it. I'm just trying to offer and invite folks to, to think about, okay, what does Holy Week, what could Holy Week speak to our present moment and our lived experiences, right? Um, in these systems of death and destruction that we exist in. So, yeah, I hope you found it interesting uh, or helpful. And today, we're going to wrap it up with Easter. Today, we're going to talk about resurrection as the possibility of radical transformation, a possibility that requires personal participation in a collective struggle. But before we get started, I do have to warn you all, the last time I wrote a little something-something for Easter, I had a distant family member tell me that that was one of the most depressing Easter sermons they had ever heard. But, in my defense, I think it's fair to say that they probably weren't expecting an Easter sermon, or any sermon really, to actually speak to the material conditions of the world. You know what I'm saying? So, while this episode might not be as cool as the Easter Egg Helicopter Drop outreach event that really, really cool churches do, I hope this episode invites you to deliberately think about resurrection in a way that has material implications for our social, political, and economic relationships. Because whether we like it or not, everything that everyone will say about Easter this year will have material implications. Doesn't matter whether they say something about a literal resurrection or a symbolic resurrection or it's belief, or it's science. What they say will either serve to reinforce and uphold systems of domination and exploitation, perhaps passively, maybe directly, or the theology will compel persons to collectively pursue a radical, you might say revolutionary, transformation of the world. Something for us to consider. Alright, so let's think about resurrection as the possibility of radical transformation That requires personal participation in a collective struggle. I won't stay here long, but I think it's important to start off by saying before we can speak of resurrection, we have to speak of death. Probably because he was undermining social structures and ideologies that local religious elites were benefiting from, Jesus ended up tortured and executed by the most powerful empire of his time— then the remnants of his mangled body was returned to the ground from which it came. That is death. And if we don't put our energy towards understanding systems of death, like capitalism, white supremacy, and patriarchy, to only name a few, if we don't acknowledge the conditions of the destitute, if we don't listen to the voices of resistant exploited and oppressed peoples, then our resurrection talk will completely fail to meaningfully speak to the well-being of people and the planet. It will not incite resurrection. People aren't going to imagine, let alone concretely build, more life-affirming alternatives to something they don't think is wrong or bad or problematic in the first place. And so before we can speak of radical transformation. We must name present systems of death. Then, another point I wanted to emphasize here is that systems of death shouldn't be reformed. I don't want a more humane and generous capitalism. I don't want to tax the rich a little, have some social goods, break up the banks, hold billionaires and corporations "quote unquote" accountable, whatever that even means, right? Or have a strong middle class. Because Here are some fundamental evils of capitalism that you simply cannot reform away. To start off, the exploitation of human beings. Capitalism mostly divides us into two main groups, right? Group one is made up of a few who possess the means of production, direct the labor of the working majority, and then distribute the fruits of the working majority's labor, right? That's group one. While group two is the many, who do all the work but are excluded from the important decision-making. The many who have their labor directed by people wealthier than they. The many who immediately has all the fruits of their labor stripped from their hands only to be given a smaller basket of fruit in return. The capitalist relationship of employers and employees. The capitalist division of labor at our places of work. The capitalist mode of production. This is an exploitative relationship where the many are exploited by the few. And to reform capitalism is to say that its hierarchy, the exploitation, and the unjust inequality that results from it is good. Number two, another defining feature of capitalism is its ceaseless pursuit of profits. One way it does that is it endlessly tries to create new markets, which is how people's healthcare, housing, education, and even water have become things only accessible through market exchange to people who have the money. Why meet people's needs when we could safeguard the rich's right to get richer? Number three, capitalism is forever dependent upon imperialism and colonialism and neocolonialism. What fueled European colonialism and the genocide of indigenous nations by the U.S.? Capitalism. What drove the Atlantic slave trade and exacerbated the enslavement of Africans and African Americans in the U.S. for centuries? Capitalism. Why has the U.S. continued to expand its political and economic hegemony across the entire world? Capitalism the production and accumulation of profits can never rest. And so the system will forever depend upon the persistence of colonialism for immense wealth and resource extraction, the persistence of imperialism to remake competing and insubordinate countries to meet the wants and desires of dominant economic powers, and the persistence of neocolonialism to rationalize the hyper exploitation of entire regions through debt, backed up with the constant threat of violence, of course. Anybody else still want reform? Let's keep going. Capitalism preys on prejudice. In its pursuit of profits, it pits the working class against itself with things like religious identity, or made up things like race, in gender, in national boundaries. Divided workers means easily conquered workers, means cheaper workers. Yet, another aspect of capitalism is its dependence upon, and reinforcement of, racial, gender, and regional inequality. Capitalism will not only prey on human prejudices, But it depends upon the material inequality and the hyper-exploitation of people racialized as non-white by whiteness, gendered as woman by heteropatriarchy, or born in a formerly colonized nation by formerly and currently colonizing nations of the West. There's no such thing as equality under capitalism. And these other hierarchies are deeply intertwined and in bed with capitalism. Number six. Finally, while nationally speaking, private property is particular to private capitalisms, right, as opposed to a state capitalism where private property has been abolished, private property remains a foundational pillar for global capitalism. As long as private capitalists can exclusively accumulate more and more property, whatever reforms you do make as a nation will eventually be undone by private capitalists which is exactly what we've seen happen here in the U.S. and what we're seeing happen in other countries. And as long as nation states continue to depend upon the notion of private property to legitimize made-up national borders, reforms will fail to address capitalism's drive to endlessly expand one's national economy. Hello imperialism. All this to say that resurrection must not stop at reforms. It has to imagine the radical transformation of our social, political, and economic relationships and pursue more revolutionary and complete systems change. Okay, so, so far, we've said before we speak of resurrection, we must first speak of death. Then, we said resurrection should be about radical to the root transformation, not mere surface level reforms. So now, I just want to throw out there that resurrection is simply not guaranteed. And this is hard, I think, for really anyone to hear. Whether the uncertainty is hard because theologically, we've assumed that love wins or that the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice, I think it's important to acknowledge that resurrection isn't a guarantee, but rather is a possibility that we must constantly be striving for. For example, I do not believe that the crises that capitalism causes, including the crises we are seeing seeing begin right now in the early months of 2020, necessarily will lead to the end of capitalism. These kinds of guarantees I hear from fellow comrades are too simplistic and naive, in my opinion, and I think they too easily lead folks into wishful thinking. And so, taking seriously resurrection as a possibility, as opposed to a guarantee, I think grounds us in the struggle in ways that guarantees cannot. And finally, if we are to think of resurrection as the possibility of radical transformation, then it will require our personal participation in a collective struggle. Resurrection isn't meant to save or bless isolated individuals, Resurrection can transform the lives of persons and communities, but only if we struggle in solidarity together. Working peoples must abandon the deceitful lures of capitalism that say we, as individuals or families or isolated groups, are better off fending for ourselves, rather, as people who share in our being exploited and dominated by an elite international capitalist class. When one member suffers, we must all suffer. And when one member is honored, we must all rejoice. Solidarity among the masses, especially among the world's working class, is the most terrifying thing capitalists and the white nationalists and the heads of imperial powers could ever imagine. We have revolutionary power together, power that could enable all persons and communities to live in right relationship with one another, And that is a resurrection I think is worth fighting for. Friends, thanks for listening. And a special thank you to the Patreon supporters of Faith and Capital. This work would not be possible without your financial support. Thank you for believing in this work and for believing that an alternative world is possible. If you found today's episode meaningful, you can support Faith and Capital by sending an episode to a friend, posting it on your social media, leaving a review or rating on iTunes, or contributing a few bucks a month at patreon.com faithandcapital. We'll talk soon.